We're going to continue to worship the Lord together with the reading of God's word. And this morning, we're going to begin a series in the book of Jeremiah. So if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to join me there in that book. Jeremiah chapter 1, beginning in verse number 1. And we'll read through verse 10. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were, who were in Anatoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came. In the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign, it also came in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you to speak, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Let's pray together. Father, now we ask for grace to what you want us to understand and emphasize from these verses, I pray, is the message that is proclaimed, is understood, is lived by, is trusted, and is obeyed. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I think, uh, you know, one of the great needs of our day is not more gimmicks, but more godliness, not more hype, but holiness. And so with that desire, we're going to turn as a church family to the, to the book of Jeremiah. It's a very serious and, and sober book, and these are very serious and sober days. Of course, every book in the Bible is uh, that way, and I believe Jeremiah will be of great benefit to, to us. We want to live collectively as a church family with a temperament of soul suitable for the days we live, of course, joyful. The joy of the Lord is our strength. But we also want to be delivered maybe from some of the shallowness of our days and live in line with who God is more and more. Hey, where are you going to be in 40 years? Do the math. Where are you going to be 40 years from now? Some of you laughed a little bit. To keep from crying, maybe, I don't know. Hey, you're going to be somewhere in 40 years. It doesn't matter your age right now. You'll be somewhere 40 years from now. Jer- Jeremiah is a prophet over the course of 40 years. Uh, we, re- we read those verses, and it's maybe strange-sounding names and places, and Hilkiah and Anatoth, and then there's a King Josiah. You might know a little bit about him. He was a great reformer. He found the law and, and led to some reforms, but they did sort of taper off in time. And Zedekiah, and, but, but, but ultimately, from those first three verses, just know that he, he prophesied over the course of 40 years. Maybe it's easier for you to go back in time 40 years. 
1982. I planned this illustration before I knew events of last night. Forty years ago, when Michael Jordan, freshman, hit a jumper to beat Georgetown in the NCAA championship game. Does that feel like a long time ago? I was like three. I didn't see it live. Saw the highlights after. Forty years. Hey, just for a moment, the trajectory of your life right now. Now, you're conditioned as an American in 2022 just to barely think about tomorrow. But the trajectory of your life right now, 40 years, where are you going to be? Hey, if you're 80 years old, 40 years, you're going to be somewhere. In grace, God appoints Jeremiah because the trajectory of Jerusalem at the time, they were heading for ultimately for exile. The first point, if you've got an outline and want to follow along, is that Jeremiah lived in dark and difficult days. This might help you. This is uh, not precise. But when it comes to Old Testament history, and here we are in the book of Jeremiah, it's really helpful to kind of know where we are on the timeline. So generally speaking, Abraham lives 2,000 years before Jesus, Moses lives 1,500 years before Jesus, and David lives 1,000 years before Jesus, roughly. Jeremiah begins to prophesy about 620, in the 620s B.C., and if you can do your before Christ math, he'll continue to prophesy until the 580s. And they're difficult days. They're dark days. And I think for us to understand the audience he's speaking to, I want to use an illustration. So I forewarned some of the people that I'm going to use. So all these young men here on this, this front pew, if you'll come up here, and there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of you, and I'll go in and grab James and Landon. Y'all come as well. So that's good. It's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I am going to ultimately be 12. Luke, yeah, you're, you, you talk to you, and where's y'all hiding? Now, all right, Andrew. We got to 10. Mason, got you to 11. Now I'll just take a volunteer. Any young man, whosoever will. Seth, all right. I think you got voluntold to Seth. That's how that worked. All right, so 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. This illustration, y'all, just fell apart. We didn't, um, did I count right? Did I do my math? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Why, why am I? What? I can't see or something. So Count off. How about that? That would be the easier way to do this, right? So Mason, we'll count off. All right. Everybody give it up for Seth. He was willing and ready to help. But. All right. So Old Testament history, there are 12 tribes of Israel. And so these young men are going to represent the 12 tribes. Now, exile happens in the book of Jeremiah, but exile began generations before when God's people said, we want a king for ourselves. So just real fast, the decisions one generation makes affects those that follow. Really does. I was thinking about that this week. When I was a young man, I heard a lot of talk about things we want to pass to the next generation. Truth be told, I don't hear that much anymore. We kind of turn in on ourselves, and it's just about what I want for myself. 
So hundreds of years before exile, they made a foolish decision. We want to be like all the other nations. We want a king to rule over us. And they chose Saul because he was tall. And then as time progresses, Saul is replaced by David as king. Then David's son is Solomon. Solomon builds the temple. And then after Solomon dies, Rehoboam becomes king. And that's when trouble comes. And here's what happens. There's a rebellion, a little conflict. And you two guys here, you stand, take two steps this way. Ten of the tribes said, we're going to do our own thing. We're out. We're not going to follow Rehoboam. Rehoboam, if you want to go and read the history, he made some really foolish decisions. And so ten tribes, what is known as the northern kingdom, they separate. They established their own capital city in Samaria. And long story short, ultimately, that's where the Samaritans will come from. Now, it doesn't go well for the northern tribes. In the 722 B.C., they're overrun by the Assyrians. The Assyrians conquer them, and the Assyrians keep moving, keep headed south, to the southern kingdom of Judah and Benjamin. But God miraculously delivers Jerusalem. Assyrian gobbled up most everywhere else, but when they got to Jerusalem, God delivered Judah and Benjamin, the southern kingdom. Now, here's why it's important. Jeremiah, did you see where he was living? Right outside of Jerusalem. His dad's a priest. And a dangerous assumption crept in to these guys. Now, I love these guys, so I'm not saying of them, but of who they're representing. Dangerous assumption. God will deliver us always, no matter how we live. Dangerous assumption. But that's where we are at the start of the book of. Now, what these guys do is they looked at this group and said, hmm got what they deserved, but it'll never happen to us. Let's give it up. Isn't that a great group of 12 young men? Awesome job. Give it up for the... For <laughs> so to just bring it home, there in verse 3, where it says, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. That is something the residents in Jerusalem thought would never, ever happen. So Jeremiah is living in dark and difficult days. And just to give a couple of quick bullet points about it, it's a time of spiritual decline. Time of spiritual decline. If you've got your book there in Jeremiah, turn with me and we'll just get a sampling of verses to kind of get a flavor of what was going on. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5. Jeremiah 17, verse 5. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He will dwell in parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and it's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. 
when we talk about a time of spiritual decline, we see that one thing they're doing is they placed confidence in the wrong place. They placed their confidence in things rather than God. Look at Jeremiah chapter 7. We're just going to do a little bit of flipping. Jeremiah 7 verse 8. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you still murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say we are delivered only to go on doing all of these abominations, spiritual decline, where you can say, I love the Lord, where you can sing, I love the Lord, but in your heart... Your heart is set on things other than God. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. Let everyone beware of his neighbor and put no trust in any brother, for every brother is the deceiver, and every neighbor goes about as a slanderer. Everyone deceives his neighbor, and no one speaks the truth. They've taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves committing iniquity. They're guilty of all sorts of unrighteous deeds. Lying to one another, slandering one another. Chapter 7, did we just read verse 5 and 6, but to see it again. Or or, or Jeremiah 7, verse 5. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place in the land that I gave of old to your fathers. Spiritual decline. It's also a time of deceptive spiritual leadership. Hey, you need to be careful about who you really listen to. Not everybody who speaks in spiritual terms is a representative of the Lord. I mean, something I hear often is, uh, I'm a spiritual person. Ever share the gospel with someone and that's what she kind of responds? I'm a spiritual person. Well, everybody's a spiritual person. It's just a matter if it's spiritual darkness or spiritual light. We live in a generation where it's sort of understood that anything spiritual is okay as long as I say so. Well, friends, that is so deceptive. So deceptive. And it goes back to the fall, of course. At the fall in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve say, we don't need God, we'll be God for ourselves. We will decide what is right and what is wrong for ourselves. And then, to compound the problem, the spiritual leaders of Jeremiah's generation were complicit in it. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 7. I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruit and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. Verse 8, the priests did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. So it's true of Jeremiah's generation. I tell it's true of you as well. It's not as simple as just going online and typing in Christian to your Google search engine and then popping up and see what's the most downloaded podcast and saying this must be good. Did you know in Jeremiah's 40 years, two confirmed converts? Two in 40 years. But better two genuine converts than to just go along with the spirit of the age. Yesterday, um, I had the privilege of participating in a funeral and preaching at a 
funeral for my uncle who had passed away. And um, When the service was over, we are going to go to the graveside. And you know where the graveside was? You know where the cemetery was? I, 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 it was at the church. We don't do that much anymore, do we? There's all number of reasons for that, and, I, and I'm not really trying to make a point of it. But, but it did remind me that in generations gone by, a church and a cemetery had everything to do with one another. Because you're not just preparing somebody for their best life right now. You're preparing them for the life that is to come. And it's urgent, and it matters. See, see deceptive spiritual leadership is always going to be based on telling people what they want to hear. And man, those are certainly the days we live in. I confess to you the temptation that I face. I I know there's things that I could say that will just be applauded. And that's why, by God's grace, every time we're together, the first thing we do is open up the Word. But now let me give you another caution. That in and of itself is not sufficient. Those who handle the law did not know me. That means they're still handling the law. An open Bible is better than an unopened Bible. Amen. But the devil quotes Scripture too. You, you see that in the temptation of Jesus, right? The devil approaches Jesus. A couple of temptations. They fail. And then the, and then the devil starts quoting Jesus. Uh, well, he is quoting Jesus. He's quoting the word to Jesus. So we have to be discerning. You have to be perceptive about what is true and what is false. So, let me give you the simplest reason to do that. When you listen to a podcast, when you listen to a sermon, when you read a book, always be asking, what is this person saying about Jesus? What do they say about Jesus? Jesus. Nicodemus, what did he say about Jesus? We know that you are a teacher sent from God, respectful, kind, and a hundred percent wrong. Jesus is not one of our hopes. He is our hope. Jesus is God come in the flesh, crucified buried, resurrected, soon coming again. So not everyone then or now who claims to speak for the Lord does so truly. How does Jeremiah begin to speak for the Lord? Because God formed him, consecrated him, appointed him, and told him what to say. That's a trustworthy spokesman for the Lord. And then, and then we've alluded to this, but on your outline, it was a time of dangerous spiritual assumptions. The biggest of them is Jerusalem will never be captive. They assumed that because the temple of God was in Jerusalem, Jerusalem would always be safe. Captivity is inevitable 
for the heart set on something other than God. Maybe to say it better, captivity is the heart being set on something other than God. So if you set your heart on something other than God, either addiction or disappointment are inevitable. So I just jotted down what, as I'm reading through the book of Jeremiah, seemed to be some dangerous spiritual assumptions in his day. Here they are. God delivered us before. He'll deliver us again, no matter how we live. God is compelled to bless me. Because we're not as wicked as some others we can look at, God will protect us. And then one of the most dangerous assumptions of all, what I look like on the outside is more important than who I am on the inside. So here's the trajectory. The people of God over the Old Testament go from faith to idolatry to exile. So God's going to help his people and to help him, he raises up Jeremiah. So that brings us to our second point, is that God calls Jeremiah to speak for him in his generation. Did you do the fighter verse this week? And one of the reasons we do the fighter verse is we want to know the truth. Our fighter verse this past week was in 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Everything that's in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, is passing away. But he who does the will of the Father abides forever. So if you're going to be a spokesperson, a representative, an ambassador for God in your generation, if you ever want to do good for the world or in the world, it can't be from a heart that loves the world. And here's what we see from the passage about Jeremiah. First of all, we're told that God formed Jeremiah. Jeremiah in chapter 1 and verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. This Jeremiah is fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen. Well, most of y'all know that we're expecting a baby. And as a family, we've been kind of tracking along on uh, one of these books, one of these apps that tells about the development of the baby as she's been growing in the womb. And we've gone from week 8 to week, now we're up week, almost week 38. And it, I mean, it is amazing. It is incredible. I mean, things that we know now that Jeremiah couldn't have known then. But just look at that word. Verse 5, before I formed you. And that Hebrew word isn't like a, a child playing with Play-Doh and just kind of, it's intricate. It's careful. It's loving. Your value is rooted in the fact that God formed you. So you don't need somebody else to... We are born with inherent dignity and worth as human beings. Eugene Peterson uh, put it this way, My identity does not begin when I begin to understand myself. I just say that again to our generation. My identity does not begin when I begin to understand myself. There's something previous to what I think about myself, and that is what God thinks of me. That means that everything I think and feel is by nature a response, and the one to whom I respond is God. I never speak the first word. I never make the first move. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Second, we're told that God consecrated Jeremiah. Consecrated means to be set apart. Now, God had a unique uh, role and responsibility for Jeremiah in his generation, so I'm not trying to quite make equivalent between what Jeremiah's role is and what your role is. I'm not a prophet the way that Jeremiah is. We have the full revelation of God's Word, amen? I'm not going to add to it. I'm not going to take from it. It has been spoken. But consecrated means that you're set apart. And the New Testament does teach us that in Christ we are consecrated. 
Jeremiah is not from one of the influential families or places. We learned that in the introduction. Similar to Jesus, he comes from an overlooked place. Before this morning when I read it, have you ever heard of Anatoth? You ever heard of Hilkiah? You probably heard of Jeremiah and Josiah, but what about Zedekiah? Jehoiakim. When we were thinking about boy names, that never came on any of the lists we looked at. But he was set apart by God. And then we're told that he was appointed. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. God's heart is always set on the nations. It wasn't just about Jerusalem. Ultimately, it is about the nations. We said it last week, so just real quick. You're going to find your identity, your meaning, and your purpose somewhere. All human beings interpret those things. Here's your identity, fearfully and wonderfully made. Inherent value and dignity. Meaning, you are meant to know God, to be consecrated, to be set apart from Him. I am made to love and worship my Creator. If I don't do that, I'll love and worship something in creation. And I'll live in exile. Identity, meaning, purpose. Your purpose is to represent God for who He really is. Now, uh, how does Jeremiah respond to that? I mean, God says these awesome things. I formed you. I consecrated you. I appointed you. Then what's Jeremiah's response? I'm not doing it. Isn't that how he responds? You're going to have to find somebody else. He says, ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak. Uh, (laughs) Very commonly when people talk about their greatest fears, always near the top of the list is the fear of being a public speaker, right? I, re- I remember when I did believe God was calling me to, to speak, I, I kind of had a, 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 a terrified. That's why I had gray hair when I was 16 years old, y'all. I mean, serious. Stressed. Now, this is a personal story, and in no way, I want to be clear, is it, am I, again, saying this is equal to what God's doing with Jeremiah? And I just really wrestled with speaking in public. Nervous, I was introvert by nature. For very first time, I, I was um, 15 years old in our church youth group, and I was going to preach a message, and, and I had prepared and prepared and read and read, and I, I thought I had about a 15-minute lesson. Do you know how long it took me to deliver the message? About 12 seconds. So the moment I stood up, the only thought I had was, I'm ready to sit down. But here's what I learned from the study of God's Word. And I think we see it here in Jeremiah. Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. The, um, by God's grace, overcoming of that fear. Do you know what I realized? I fear people more than I fear God. That's going to be a major theme, by the way, through the book of Jeremiah. So we're going to talk a lot about this. 
you, you are kind of controlled by either fearing what other people think about you or fearing the Lord. And so Jeremiah says, that I, I, I don't know how to speak. Sounds a lot like Moses, doesn't it? But I will tell you this. I think from God's perspective, you, you, know when it, you, know, you know when someone's probably unusable by God is when they're so confident they can do it. I mean, somebody says, uh, hey, I'm ready to roll, that's when you should get nervous. Because here's, can we put two things together? God is always calling you to do things that you're not up for. You can't do. God's not calling you to do something that you're already equipped to do or that you could possibly do without him. That's Jeremiah's response. Uh, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm just a youth. Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set them an example in speech, in conduct, and love, right? Isn't that what the Bible, Bible says? Most of the time, we respond to God's commandments with excuses about why we can't do it. But God says, I'm going to appoint you. And you see that it all goes together. I formed you. I consecrated you. Now I'm going to appoint you. God makes and uses his own tools. God sharpens his own tools. God uses his tools for the purpose he has for, for them. So, but, but in spite of this, Jeremiah doesn't respond with ready and willing obedience. He responds with excuses of why he can't do it. And, and now let's zero in on where that excuse comes from. Chapter 1, verse 9 I'm sorry, verse 8. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you. And so we'll just see it together. He's afraid of the people he's going to talk to. And the remedy for that is the presence of God with him. I just want to draw your attention here to verse 10. God doesn't go for his excuse, by the way. <laughs> God doesn't respond, okay, well, I'll find somebody. No, I'm appointing you. So then the Lord, verse 9, put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Well, again, just understanding culture, history, and geography at the time, Jerusalem is, and Judah is sort of surrounded by Assyria to the north, Babylon to the northeast, and Egypt in the south. They're kind of sandwiched into, uh, by more powerful armies. And as we go through the book of Jeremiah, and you probably can already understand, or the, the assumption for them is going to be if Babylon's going to come against us, then we need to make an alliance with one of those nations. And Jeremiah dies in Egypt. But God's told him, I'm setting you over nations and over kingdoms. And God can do that because God is over nations and God is over kingdoms. And then he gives, what is it, eight statements? To pluck up, to break down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build, and to plant. Out of the eight, six of them are what we might call negative, aren't they? To pluck up, to break down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build, to plant. 
That's not a random order. When God's at work in the sinful world, it's always both. There are things that have to go. There are things that have to be torn down so that new things can be built and planted. But you know what else I appreciate? Grace has the last word. Grace has the last word. Well, well quickly, a few helpful applications. Third point is our, our hope in dark days is in God. This is why I need the word of the Lord. Because you know what my hope often is? My hope is often there won't be dark days. It's understandable hope, isn't it? My hope is that some of us haven't said this out loud, but we've probably all felt it. We just want things to get back to, you go on and say it, normal. What's normal, though? Apart from the intervening grace of God, normal is exile. I don't want things to get back to normal in my life. If normal means distant and removed from, from the Lord... So, so our hope in dark days is in God. Back to the 40-year trajectory. What direction are you heading? So, three quick bullet point applications. God does not promise a life of ease or comfort. He does not. As a matter of fact, He he says the opposite. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 and 14, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. I think there likely lurks in all of us a misplaced hope that life will be easy and comfortable. In fact, if we're not careful, we start to we start to interpret God's blessing in our lives on that plane. But you've got your Bible open before you. You turn to the man or woman of God in here that has an easy or comfortable life. Abraham, Moses, Esther, Ruth, Peter, Paul, Mary, Joseph, either Old or New Testament Joseph, Jesus not easy or comfortable, but so glorious. Amen? I also want you to know that God's at work even when most all the world ignores him. When Jeremiah in his generation speaks, most of the people he speaks to respond with a yawn. When is this going to be over, right? He's going to be insulted. He's going to be ignored. He's going to be persecuted. And other people will say, you don't need to listen to him. He's overreacting. He's not trustworthy. He's a bit dramatic if you get right down to it. That's true in his generation, but not in the next one. You know what they'll say of Jeremiah in the next generation? We should have listened to him. He was not overreacting. He was trustworthy. He was speaking to us the truth. He's the one who actually loved us. 
God's word will, in time, prove its worth. But you will do well to listen to him now and today. I know I've quoted to you what Adrian Rogers says a thousand times before. The devil's got two days, yesterday and tomorrow. Either you'll be caught up in what happened back then, and the devil doesn't really care what you do as long as you'll do it tomorrow. The Lord's day is today. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You know, the only thing that experience can teach you is what God was willing to tell you ahead of time. And then we'll close with one other application, and that is to fear the Lord is the great need of our day. You're going to hear me uh, ask over and over, so just be prepared, because I think it's one of the most important questions you can be asked. Do you fear the Lord? And do you really fear the Lord? We're going to talk about what that means, because maybe immediately in your mind, you, you might say, well, maybe that's the Old Testament. It's the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they fear the Lord. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church multiplied. That's Acts. That's Acts chapter 9. So it can't be just Old Testament. We'll talk a lot more about this. But I want you to see in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 18 and 19. Well, 17 is good too. <laughs> Have you not brought this upon yourself by forsaking the Lord your God when he led you in the way? And now, what do you gain by going down to Egypt to drink the waters of the Nile? Or what do you gain by going to Assyria to drink the waters of the Euphrates? Your evil will chastise you and your apostasy will reprove you. Know and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. The fear of me is not in you, declares the Lord of hosts. So the root from which springs all the other symptoms of Jeremiah is, is this. They don't fear the Lord. And, and as I've been reading Jeremiah and I've been praying, I, I'm believing more and more that the great need of our day is a return to the fear of the Lord. I want to conclude by talking about Jeremiah and Jesus. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 10, we've learned some things, right? Jeremiah is a prophet to the nations. Jesus is the Savior of the nations. Jesus is the King of the nations. In Jeremiah 1, we're told the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Jesus is the word of the Lord come in the flesh. In Jeremiah, we're told the Lord put out his hand to Jeremiah. At the cross, Jesus' hands are nailed to the tree. Question, at the cross, did God pluck up, break down, destroy, overthrow, build, or plant? Yes and amen. It was to overthrow everything that exiled us from the presence of God and to build and plant 
as Jeremiah will proclaim in Jeremiah 31, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. It is in the dark days and specifically at Calvary, the darkest days of all, that our hope really does shine the brightest. So I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to look to Jesus and we're going to pray. In Christ, captivity is over. In Christ, exile is eternally over. We are welcomed back into the presence of God. Let's pray together and then we'll sing together. Father, I I ask for help as we think through and study through the book of Jeremiah that uh, you really speak to us from your word what we need to hear in our lives right now. For the God of Jeremiah is our God. Thank you. In the Old Testament, we see promises made. In Christ, we see every promise kept. Father, I pray in humility that you will bless our church with a right fear of the Lord. In Jesus' name.